My hometown of St. Louis is an awesome baseball town. For those of you who know my story, you know that story. You know the impact of the St. Louis Cardinals and Jack Buck and baseball on my life. You also know it's a phenomenal hockey town. And for those who have read the book On Fire or know the impact of the St. Louis Blues, not only in this community, but also on a little boy named John O'Leary, you know that it's a hockey town as well. What you may not know is the town keeps expanding. We are now, drumroll please, a soccer town as well. That's right. We've been a soccer town for a while, but now it's official with MLS moving to St. Louis. And our friends at Keeley Companies are proud construction partners in building the new stadium, downtown St. Louis, focusing on applying their extensive building experience, their commitment to developing, and then implementing a successful workforce development with diversity inclusion. Keeley Companies CEO and my friend Rusty Keeley said this, we are honored to be part of the project of creating a positive legacy in St. Louis. Learn more about that project and other projects going on at Keeley Companies by visiting them right now online at KeeleyCompanies.com. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. Today, we bring you content that whether you are in high school getting ready to decide what your next step might be, or you're new into the labor force, or you're midway through your career professionally, or you think you're done, you're retired, and you feel like you're moving toward the sunset, I think the content from today, the guest that I have the opportunity and the honor of interviewing, has something to say to you about the work you do, about the impact you can have, about the talents you have, and about ultimately how to utilize those for something even bigger than yourself. Ken Coleman is a leader, a personality. He works with my buddy Dave Ramsey at Ramsey Solutions. He's got a new book coming out called From Paycheck to Purpose. It is a seven-step practical guide so that people can discover where they can contribute, how to make a plan to get there, and how to get started on the path. Ken and I are going to have an awesome conversation. No, not about him. That would be boring for both of us. The conversation may borrow a little bit from Ken's experience. We may talk a little bit about his upbringing. We may hear a little bit of the advice his father gave him. But ultimately, as always, these stories, his process, these steps, this journey, this podcast are shared for you so that you can understand even more clearly where you are, how firm the foundation is, the talents that you have, the passion that can be encouraged, the mission that will draw you forward, and the truth, and this is the truth, that the best of our journey, personally and professionally, remains ahead of us. My friends, on every podcast, I strongly encourage you to grab a journal. You'll want one for this episode. Grab a pen, favorite drink, get ready to rock and roll as I bring on my friend, and now yours, his name is Ken Coleman. Ken Coleman, brother, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Good to be with you, buddy. Always love being with you. I love being with you, too. There are a lot of folks that I have on our show that I've met them once 
in an airport, you know, going through a Starbucks line, or I've read a couple of their books, or they've had me on their show. Can I, I look across the screen at you right now, and I do see a friend, so I'm really excited to have you on our show for you to share your life story, and for you to share a project that you're excited about today. Well, it's uh, the feeling is mutual. I, I've been privileged to get to know you, to interview you multiple times on my show and speak on the same stage as you. And uh, God has given you an amazing story and an amazing gift. So it's, uh, I always feel lifted when I'm around you. So I'm, I'm the one getting all the benefit today. Well, we'll try to pivot away from that as quickly as possible. So here we go, Ken. <laughs> the audience listening in right now, they just heard me brag on you on what mm -hmm. you're doing today professionally. But if you were to bump into someone's sideline, one of the kids' games, and they're like, Ken Coleman, I know that name from somewhere. What, what do you do, man? How would you respond to that question? Yeah, I would tell them that I coach people. And I coach people to discover their unique role in this world. And then I help them come up with a plan to fill that role. And then the way you answer that de demands a follow-up question. So well, when of they course, say, how do you well, do that, Ken? How yeah, do you respond well, to that? of course. Yeah, I'd say, well, I get to do it, you know, on a syndicated radio show around the country, Sirius XM. Of course, we podcast it. We're on YouTube. If you like the HD version and watch me, you know, kind of just coach people one-on-one. -on -one. If you want to eavesdrop in or be a voyeur on that process of enlightenment you can watch me do it there and of course i get to write books and speak as well so uh, that would be the, the 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 answer there but the reason i answered it that way is because that's really what it is strip away the public platform stuff you know i i came zooming in here on two wheels just finished up the show today two hours and the reality is is that when i'm on the air um, or coaching someone at a live event it doesn't matter how many people are listening or watching. It doesn't matter how many people in the room. Uh, the only person that I see, the only person that I hear is that person on the other year end. And, and, and that's why I answer it that way. I just love, I love diving in and digging in with people and coaching them up. So as a friend, I feel like I know your heart for your family and certainly for the work that you do with one or in a couple of the stages we've shared together, many, 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 many thousands, which is always awesome. But I want to hear a little bit of the backstory and then talk about work you're doing today. Because yeah. Ken, although I've hung with you many times, man, it's not something I'm privy to. So yeah. let's back the train way up all the way to the beginning. Where'd you grow up? Yeah. Well, I was born in a super small town of 5,000 people called Point Pleasant, West Virginia. And it was such a small area that Point Pleasant at 5,000 people was the county seat. So, I mean, we're talking the holler, as they say in my native state, West Virginia. That's H-O-L-L-E-R is the pronunciation. Hollow uh, is, is the word. And uh, the reason I was in this little teeny tiny town is because my mom and dad had uh, uh, accepted the call to full-time ministry. And my dad had just graduated Bible college and through a series of connections found out about four families in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, that wanted to start a church, and they were fine getting a young preacher straight out of Bible college, wet behind the ears, and so they packed everything they owned into a 1972 Volkswagen Beetle and drove from Chattanooga, Tennessee to Point Pleasant, West Virginia, and I was born uh, three years later, so that's how that happened, so I grew up in a home, uh, a ministry home, uh, we're talking small church, small area, so we're talking lower middle class, you know, my entire life, but I didn't know it. 
And um, as a result, I grew up with two key environmental uh, ingredients that lead me to where I am today. The first is uh, a love of people. You know, I watched my mom and dad serve people and just love on people. Uh, they were serving their souls. Um, but even if you're somebody watching or listening right now and, you know, you've got a bad experience with faith, if you remove the faith component of what they did, it was still just loving on people and caring for people and people mattered. The second ingredient, John, was because we didn't have any money and because my dad was a big history buff and still is, we never went to Disney. Never. I never did as a kid, but we went to battlefields and president's homes and Patrick Henry's home and, you know, where these things were really a cheap ticket, you know, and you could pack a lunch and eat Cheetos and drink uh, off-brand soda in the car. And then you went in. And so that's what we could afford. And, and so I adopted my father's love of history and I experienced history makers through their homes and walking battlefields and, and learning about pivotal, pivotal moments in American history, for sure. And so those two childhood experiences, without question, right. shape who I am. I'm going to add one more to it, because I think this is instrumental in, in the energy you bring into a podcast. You're coming off two hours of live national radio, stepping right into this thing, and you're on fire still, which is not an easy thing to do. Your father had an expression he shared with you and uh, insisted that you act upon. And it was leave it all, leave it all on the floor, Ken, yeah. leave it all on the floor. Yeah. What did that mean then? What does it mean today? Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's the conclusion to the book. I, I share that. What it meant then was, is I was a college, I mean, he's a high school basketball player, rather high school soccer player. And it was just like, when the game is over, you better not have anything left in the tank. Like, I don't want to see you after the game and you dogged it on any play. That's what it meant. You know, he was like, give everything you got on the floor, you know, leave it all out there, all your effort, everything, leave it on the floor. That's what it meant then. What it means now is, is that uh, I don't want to get to the end, no matter how much time I have, whether that's tomorrow or 30 years from now. And uh, I don't want to have anyone say of me, eh, he, you know, he, he, he kind of, he kind of went at it. He, you know, he gave, he gave some decent effort. I want people to say this dude cared deeply about the mission, cared deeply about the people that he had the opportunity to, to uh, confront and work with and connect with and coach. Uh, I want people to say that, you know what, uh, the Coleman was this, the Coleman was that. But I'll say this, the dude really cared. He right. gave everything he had. That's what I want. And I think that's about the, the, I think the spiritual mandate to be everything that we were created to be, you know, and uh, that this, this, this earth is not some cosmic uh, party that happened by accident that we're here to contribute. And that means if we're here to contribute, you better give everything you got. You better give your best because it's not about us. It's about everybody else. So that's what it means now. Ken, you wanted to share this purpose with uh, an audience as a politician originally. Yeah. Uh, tell me why. I mean, for a young guy, high school and into college, most of us don't desire to become a politician, but you did. <laughs> Why? Yeah. Well, uh, again, back to I'm 10 years of age, 1984, and I'm sitting on the living room, uh, back up against the couch, uh, piddling with some homework. And uh, no, actually, that's not true. It wasn't homework because it would have been August. So I'm probably playing around with something, maybe some G.I. Joe men. 
And my dad's got the TV on John and uh, all he's watching the Republican national convention, which I wasn't paying attention to. I had no idea what it was, but all of a sudden the guy came on by the name of Ronald Reagan and he began to speak. And my dad was like, shh, shh, shh to me and my brother. And it mattered to my dad. So of course I looked up at the screen and I was enthralled by this guy at 10. Mm. I was like this dad, this guy's special. And I'll never forget that. And, and again, I'm 10. So it wasn't like some, big lightning bolt moment there, but it was just that I was impressed by Ronald Reagan and the crowd. And I watched him speak to that crowded room at the Republican national convention. And I listened to what he said, and he talked about shining city on a hill. And, you know, at 10, I've been in church my whole life. And so there was something uplifting about that experience that it stuck with me. So then fast forward, um, you know, I'm 16 years of age and I'm in a chapel at school and a state senator came in and spoke and talked about duty and civic duty and responsibility. And it was in that moment that I felt absolutely that tuning fork go off in my chest, that I wanted to serve people, that I wanted to give my life uh, to people and making their lives better. And at 16, I thought, you know, it's going to be public service and maybe, you know, it's certainly in politics to make people's lives better and certainly loving liberty and freedom and and all of that. And uh, so that's how that kind of got started. And then I, as you know, I went down that path and then uh, it became very clear to me that that wasn't it. And, and in spending a couple of years wrestling with that, like, did I waste all this, these dreams and, and things that I did and, and, and work that I did and, and connecting and all the things. Uh, but then I realized that it wasn't that, that, that press on me as a 16 year old, mm. uh, it was absolutely right on. It's just that, as I teach on the Ken Coleman show that there are multiple dream jobs for every person. It's not just one silver bullet because what really matters is that you're using your talent, what you do best to do work. You love passion to produce results that matter deeply to you mission. And so I'm still in the same game. I'm in public service. It just so happens that I'm in broadcasting or that I'm a speaker or thought leader, whatever adjective you want to throw on it, but I'm still serving the public. You know, what's so great about that backstory is I, right before we started taping, one of our coaches walked in and, and I said, Matt, what, what would you want to ask Ken? And he, he was basically saying, you know what, I, I wanted to ask for me, I would ask it for my, my kids, because my kids want what they want right away. You know, they, they're just graduating school 23 and they, they are ready for the dream job now. No, yesterday. Yeah. And they don't know why it's not here yet. And yet you had this epiphany, what, 35? When you recognize this ladder you've been climbing was leaning against the wrong wall, it's time to make a pivot. Yeah. And the pivot might require you to spin down for a little bit before you bounce and move back up. That's right. You know, what I'd say to those young people or anybody that's got that dream and you want it yesterday, I think that's great. That to me is your heart. So you got to listen to that. You, you, but, but what you have to then do is say, okay, my heart is pounding. And it wants it so bad. That's confirmation. But remember that we've got to use the dream as a mountain metaphor for this answer. If that is the, the mountain you want to climb, understand that it's a mountain. You want it yesterday, but there is no mountain that we just hop, skip, and jump to the top. It's going to take time. You got to get prepared. You got to get prepared for the climb, right? And there's a, there's a lot of time involved in that. Some, some, for more, some more for others, some it's less, but we got to get ready for the climb. We got to get qualified, right? And 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 how do we do that? We got to get connected to people who can teach us how to climb. And and then and then boom, at some point we got to get there. But what do they do at Everest? They go and hang out at base camp for two to three weeks, just to acclimate to the environment. 
I watch all this stuff, John, because of the, the rich teaching, but I watch all these documentaries on Amazon. Uh, and in fact, I'm into season two on one on Everest, but the, the sheer amount of time that the great mountain climbers have to wait is, is mind boggling. And then when we realize we go, wait a second, that's very true of us. I, you know, I may get on the ladder, but it may take me five to seven years to climb to the next level. Uh, it may take me two years. And then the next level, we spend a lot of our time, you know, climbing the ladder. And then when we finally get there, now, now the view changes. And so what I would say to that young person is, is if it's worth climbing, if that's what you want so badly, then you need to understand this is a mountain. This is a climb. Uh, and it's going to take some time and there's going to be some hardship. There's going to be storms that come in, weather that blows in out of nowhere to where progress is just hunkering down for a while. That's progress. When everybody else is dropping off in the middle of the storm, you are hunkered down. So that, that's what I would say to that young person. So can you, you in your mid-30s, you're married, you're successful, you've got two little ones, and then a surprise third one on the way. Life is yep. hectic and chaotic. And then you decide to make this radical pivot to start over at the ground floor again. I, I've always thought, man, it's, it's almost easier to do that if you're on your own. And you just load up your... your your old Dodge pickup truck and roll out of town and do your thing in a new city with a new network. You had four lives dependent upon you taking the next right step and you needed a little bit of buy-in. So talk about that, not only from your perspective and Stacy's, but for the listeners right now who are thinking, again, it's not just me, man. I'm not the only one climbing. There's other people's whose lives dependent on, on us doing this right. Yeah. I'm really glad you asked that. I talked about that on the air today to somebody and here's what happens. Our responsibilities, let's use the word duty, our duty to be a provider or a contributor, okay, um, to, a, to a dual income family or whatever. All of a sudden, it becomes the rationalization to never actually go after it. Because here's, here's what it looks like. Well, I've, I've got three kids, a dog, Stacy, I've got the mortgage, everything. And uh, this is going to take a lot of sacrifice. There might be some times where I make less money. We have to strategically maybe tighten the belt, maybe not do some vacations, maybe not do this, that, 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 that. And what happens is you start to go, well, if I go after this and I go backwards financially and I hurt our prospects or my 401k gets paused or whatever, 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 that's not smart. That's not safe. And all of a sudden you go, well, I can't pursue the dream. Why? Well, I got I to provide. And so we take this, this fear and doubt, John, and we, we, we humans are so, we're so good at rationalization and we turn it into a badge of honor. Well, I, I had a dream, but well, I had the wife and the kids and I had to take care of them. So you know what? I never did it. And it becomes this rationalization to take on fear and doubt. And so then it becomes pride. Well, I, I listen, I, I listen, I, I could have, but you know what? Life just threw me a different pitch wrong. You chose, you chose to not pursue it and you'll deal with that on your deathbed. I'm just telling you, you'll be there and you'll regret as opposed to reminisce. So there is a way there yeah. is a way. And, and, and I'm living proof. I mean, listen, man, it, I told Stacy when I started it, it's going to be, I think five to seven years before I catch a good break. <laughs> And wouldn't you know it, it was right at seven years when Dave Ramsey asked me to join his team. I almost wept uncontrollably when that timeline happened. And she reminded me of it after I drove home and told her about a meeting. I said, Dave's opened the door wide open. We got to walk through it. And she said, 
you know, I was just thinking about this. It's, it's almost seven years to the day you told me it was going to take five to seven years. Now, I'm going to tell you something, John. There was a whole lot of doubt and me feeling like I was delusional in those seven years. Mm-hmm. A lot. And um, the reality is, is that there is a way. It might take longer, but you can provide for your family. You can do what you have to do. Uh, and you can still get there. It just, uh, it's going to take a lot of patience. You know, persistence has been, has been made very sexy, right? Like, oh, get up, girl, we got all these motivational posters. It's all about perseverance and persistence and blah, 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 blah. But you know what? You can't persist, John. You can't persevere if you're not patient. Mm. You just can't. And where does that come from? Where does the, the mix of perseverance and patience come from? It comes from one place passion it, 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 which by the way the root word of passion is pati p-a-t-i by the latin the usage of the word and it means to suffer i'm willing <laughs> to suffer in order for this to be true so you know that's what it takes to stay with it well man we're, we're going to pivot from your story in a moment into the steps that we can make our stories even more successful and significant I do think you made some poor TBS producers suffer on your on your first live read. <laughs> uh, oh I, I won't make you relive it. But d- sometimes we look at Dave Ramsey or Ken Coleman or some other version of what we consider to be successful, yeah. and we view them as they are today. And for the most part, have no clue the journey they took. Yeah. So Ken, l- l- let's go back to the first rung of the ladder. Let's get yeah. clear on what we were born to do. That's your first step along the way. Yeah. How do we get clear? You know, yeah. most of us listening to my voice and now yours in a moment are in their 20s, 30s, 40s. We have listeners. I had one guy to, to say 92 years old. We've got folks tuning in from 75 different nations. Wow. Awesome. But they're coming in at all different backgrounds, all different ages from all over the world. How do we get clear on what we were born to do? Yeah. So there are three indicators that every human being has. Think of them as your dashboard. You know, when you get in the car, you've got your key indicators. So let's just look at these three things, talent, passion, and mission. All three of them you were born with. Your creator gave you these. It's hardwired. Talent, very simple. What you're good at. So we could say those are technical skills. Hard skills is what they're called. Uh, Soft skills. I prefer people skills. So hard skills, people skills. We could also throw in character traits. Things like loyalty, honesty, all those things. Throw them all in that one bucket. This is just, I came into this world and... I've just been good at these things. These things have come easy to me. I've watched other people struggle and I go, wow, I don't know why they're struggling. It's really easy for me, right? This is just people compliment us on these things. That's the bucket, the indicator of talent. Then passion. Now, again, I'm taking the word passion. It's been used in a romantic sexual connotation. But if we really look at it, it's, it's something that causes tremendous, tremendous emotion. And so I use that to define work we love. So there are tasks that John O'Leary just loves. I mean, you think about them, you get the juice. When you're in the middle of doing these, this type of work, time seems to stand still. Uh, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi has done 30 years plus of study on this. They call it, he calls it flow. When you yeah. just experience flow, he, he compares it to ecstasy, which again has been sexualized, but it's not. It's a state of euphoria. Where you're just like, man, I feel great. And you and I experience that when we're on stages. You, you just do. And, and so it's, there's work that when you do that, you love. I, I like to call it high emotion, high devotion. Got all the feelings for it, and I don't want to stop doing it. I'll suffer patience, training, 
Rejection. Right. Hello. Can't tell you how many times I've been rejected uh, on this journey. I'll suffer that to, to, for the opportunity to get to do it. It's love of the work, just the work. Now, the final piece is mission. So I refer to mission as results that matter deeply to me. So all work creates results, okay? But I want to do work that I love that also creates a result that deeply connects to my values. So I'll give you an example from my journey. When I got started into this, I went to sports broadcasting first because you know, John, I do love sports. I love talking sports. Well, I went that direction, got on TV, got on sports radio in the Atlanta area, and I got enough of it to realize something was still missing. It was in the area of mission. So it was work I love, broadcasting, communicating, that pressure, performing. That was the work I love. But the results that matter deeply to me was not entertainment. That's what sports radio and sports television is. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. For somebody else, that is their missional result. But I didn't want to entertain. I wanted to influence. And so at the time, there was no show like what I'm doing now where you help people figure out what they were created to do to live and work on purpose. But that was the direction. It was like, I don't know that it exists, but I'm going to try to make it happen. And I'm going to go that direction. And so the shift from broadcasting or communicating to entertain went from that to communicating, to equip, to encourage. So when you figure out all three, this is what purpose looks like. Using what you do best, talent, to do work you love, passion, to produce results that matter to you, mission. Let me tell you something. When talent, passion, and mission are in alignment, John, you are on purpose. And here's what's great about that. People look at you and they go, you were born for this, but it could be multiple career paths multiple even dream jobs as mm -hmm. long as you're using what you do best talent to do work you love passion to produce results that matter to your mission and that's where meaning and that's where impact come together with money and income that's where they come together you go oh are you kidding me i can actually get up on a monday morning and have the juice yeah and come home friday spent not because you're in a toxic environment and because you've been gutting it out, biting a stick all week to just get through it. You're, you're coming home on Friday. You need to recreate yourself because you gave everything you had. You poured it all out. That's what's there for you. Ken, on your show and through your work, how do you help us get clear on what our talent and purpose and mission are? Yeah, so we've got a wonderful tool. I mean, first of all, if you call the show, I'll coach you through it, right? So we'll take five, six minutes, and I'm just going to put you on the spot, and we're going to dig, and we're going to ask questions. But we created an online assessment called the Get Clear Career Assessment that walks people through uh, a very pinpointed self-assessment list of questions that will reveal what you do best. It's going to give you your top three talents, but it'll also show you where you score on the 12 universal talents that we've created. And then it'll give you top three passions work you love it'll show you where you score on all 15 and then the same thing with missional results it'll show you what your number one driving result is in the workplace and then show you where you score on the remaining five of the six so it gives you the report but then more importantly john we take those top three and then that primary mission we put it together in a purpose sentence and you literally be able to read it i was created to use my top talents of blank blank and blank to do work that i love blank blank and blank to produce this result boom and what it becomes john is a a blinking neon arrow, a litmus test, a filter for you to look out there in the world at work and compare every job description to this purpose statement. And then, you know, okay, I was created to do this. Yeah. And that allows us to move forward with tremendous confidence, John. And so that tool 
and the process, we unpack it in the book, by the way. We unpack it so you can walk through it, old school pencil paper. But clarity, John, leads to confidence. And confidence leads to courage. Absent of clarity, you'll never have a confidence that you need to step out on the path to be who you were created to be. And I can tell you this, absent of confidence, you'll never have courage. When life throws all of its crazy pitfalls and detours and all kinds of crazy things at you. You must be clear because when you're clear, when life throws its stuff at you and shakes your confidence, I retreat back to clarity and then my confidence reemerges and gives me the courage to keep going forward. So Coleman, I can only imagine right now, my mom and dad, I think are my biggest fans. So right now they're in the living room listening. My sister, family members around the country and around the world are tuning in. And some of them are thinking, wow, these two guys are passionate about their work and their lives. Good for them. But I'm too old. I'm too inexperienced. I'm too young. I'm from the wrong side of the tracks. I'm from whatever the excuse might be next. I'm, I'm already retired, Ken. A little late for me, buddy. What would you say to folks who are already saying, man, uh, I'm enjoying the conversation, but um, I'm too whatever? Well, I would say that those things may be true. You can fill in the blank. I'm to this. I'm to this. I'm to this. But then I would also listen to you and I would be pretty empathetic and I'd smile and I'd look at you and I'd go, yeah, but you still have talent and you still have passion and you still have a sense of mission. You're a human being. Welcome to the human race. You don't get to opt out on those things. Now, if you choose to opt out for whatever challenge you've got or your age or whatever else or the amount of money you've got, that's your decision but you don't get to opt out on this. So what I would say is, is I'd look at that unique challenge. I go, okay, you're, you're, you're 85 years of age. You're already retired. You're old. You always wanted to fill in the blank. Mm. I would dig down into that. Okay. And I'd get to the core of the work because see, if, if you said, well, I always wanted to teach young people in the classroom, or I always wanted to whatever, John, you and I both, we could sit there with that person and go, okay, let's get to the core of it. What was it really doing? And let's get to the core of that and go at 85. Okay. You always wanted to teach children. Well, yeah, you're, you're probably right. No one in this world is going to give you a job as an elementary school teacher, but I tell you what they will do. They let you show up and read to kindergartners and first graders and tell stories and life lessons at your local elementary school. I mean, I, I, spare me the excuses, spare me all of the challenges. Are you limited in how you can apply the purpose? Sure, but you can apply the purpose and you can find a place to contribute on purpose. I don't care what's going on in your life. Your third step, we're going to skip around a little bit because we got we have to make summits at some point before, before dinner time tonight. So, Oh man, I could do it in one minute. That I'll, you may be forced to in a moment, but we're not, we're not quite there yet. So walk with, walk before you run with me. Ken. Yes, sir. Get connected, yeah. get connected. And, uh, you know, as I turn into that chapter, a lot of us are probably thinking, I don't have that network. I'm not that popular on LinkedIn following's not that massive and I don't have the right neighbors. So yeah. how can I possibly get connected to the next right opportunity? Yeah. So stage one is get clear. We unpack that stage two is get qualified. Stage three is get connected. So that's where we are. So, so I get callers all the time on the show. They'll say, Ken, I, I totally get what you're saying. Problem is I don't know enough people. Mm -hmm. And I'll say to them, well, how many people do you think, you know, uh, and inevitably, John, it's amazing how many times the caller has said oh, about 200 people. And then I'll say, okay, how many people would you say ballpark that those 200 people know? 
and they'll start to laugh and they'll say probably 200. Oh, so we have access to 40,000 people, my math. And they're like, oh yeah, yeah. And so what we realize is that sociologists have studied this. And you know that most people get their jobs through acquaintances, not close personal connections. So let's throw out family and friends for a moment. Those are the close personal connections. And so let's picture spider web for a moment. We've all walked into a spider web before. If we had to draw one, we'd all draw it basically the same way. Let's go. So this is the middle of the web. And as we begin to go out, this is where opportunities are out here. So those close personal connections, friends and family, they lead us to more connections. Our acquaintances lead us to connections. And so when you look at it, we have this vast web of connections. It's an actual sociology term. And when you realize that you know everybody that you need to know, it's just a function of getting after it. When you and I were growing up, I don't know about kids these days, John, but I know that there was this little game we played all the time called the match game. And you take all these little animals on them, you know, and you flip them over and one at a time we had to remember it's the match game, right? It's, 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 it's okay. I know somebody over here that works at company XYZ and I'm trying to apply at XYZ. I'm going to go to that person and say, Hey, do you know the hiring manager? I may be one degree, one connection away. So that's the art of it. We unpack this in the book, but you know, everybody you already need to know, trust me, but you're just going to have to dig and you have to be patient and add value to people. And, and, and then they will help you if you ask. You wrote about Elizabeth in your book and a connection she made either to her husband or brother that really launched your career down in Atlanta. And as you were writing about that, I was thinking, Ken, about the, the work I've done in the first couple of years of speaking, I did not have a close family member or friend you know, this is not a knock against them, do anything for me. No. It, they were encouraging, they were sweet, they were loving, but all the other, it was the connections one away that would make the phone ring. They were the ones that would return my email and say, yeah, we have a little conference coming up. We've got a little rotary club meeting you can come to. It was these one away from the immediate connections. And so I, I am also like you living proof of this principle. Yeah. But it's not who you think it's going to be that's going to ultimately elevate the game going forward. No, and, and I'm glad you brought up the Elizabeth story. I'll let people read it in the book. But but the bottom line is it's, it's the greatest example in my life, in my career of the law of reciprocity that Zig Ziglar made so famous when he said, if you help other people get what they want, you'll get what you want. And what he was saying was, don't go around just being a vampire, you know, looking for opportunities to help somebody and keep score. The idea is when we add value to people and we look for opportunities to serve, we are making investments that we have no idea how they'll return. And so one of the things you could be doing now is always look for opportunities to pour into the life of others, help people where you are, how you can, and you never know how when you need a connection and you need an opportunity, how one of those people you've invested in and you've helped could be holding the key that unlocks your future. And that's exactly what happened to me. I mean, unbelievable situation that came from me saying yes to a friend. Hey, would you eat lunch with us and give Elizabeth, some advice? Yeah, sure. I could have said no. I probably thought about saying no, but I didn't. And it ended up being one of the biggest keys to my career. Mm. Brother, we could spend a lot of time on this. I, I do want to know, though, why people don't get started. Because it, it seems yeah, yeah. like you got the vision, you got the passion, you got the talents, you've got the network. And then, and then yeah. we hit pause. Why don't we, why don't we get rolling? If I simplify it, and I will for time, it's fear, doubt, and pride. The three mortal enemies of progress. Um, those ugly, nasty suckers are hanging around all the time. We never get rid of them. Uh, we can overcome them, but they never disappear. And really, people get to the starting line. And I love sports, as you know. 
and they tow the line and they get there and they get the blocks and the gun fires and they just stay there and everybody else is taken off and they're just paralyzed. They're paralyzed and it's fear. So we're afraid of, and I think the big fears are rejection, the sting of rejection. I think the fear of failure is scary, but I'll tell you what I have found is the greatest fear for us humans is the unknown. And this journey of purpose has a lot of unknowns to it. And what we do as humans, we just can't help ourselves. We've got that amygdala at the back of our brain, right? Fight or flight. And we're just always fast forwarding in the journey where it looks dark and we can't see where the path is going to go and we freak out. So fear holds us back. Another one is doubt. Doubt that I don't have enough time. You mentioned that one earlier. Uh, doubt that I have the talent to actually make it happen. Uh, doubt that anybody will give me a shot. You know, those voices rattle around in our head at the starting line. That's where they are the loudest. And most people never move because of fear and doubt. And then the other one is pride. Whereas what are people going to think of me? And I dealt with this, you know, I'm 33, 34, all my friends, everybody that knew me thought I was going to go into politics and I'm going to change. And I'm saying, I'm going broadcasting. Are they going to think I'm delusional? Um, I'm 35. I'm really old, really old to be going after this. Uh, so those are the enemies. That's why people don't get started. And what happens is the voice rattles around in our head, John, so much that it becomes the truth. William James, the father of modern psychology, okay, has a famous quote that says, no matter how absurd something is, if it is repeated often enough, people will believe it. And don't you know that's true for us? Do you know the person we listen to the most, John? Tell me, ourselves. Ourselves. So if I've got these absurd thoughts in my head, it doesn't take very long at all given the amount I'm listening to me to believe absurdity. That's why people don't get started. Ken, as you're going through that so passionately and, and beautifully, brother, I mean, just this is your lane, man, and you run it well. It, it also makes me wonder, how do you run fast professionally? How do you keep climbing, keep dreaming, keep elevating, keep succeeding? and not lose sight of the things that make you who you are, whether it's, you know, humility, family, faithfulness, rest. So how do you soar and at the same time not lose what makes you remarkably special? Well, I love that question. And I think that uh, perspective is everything. And I think that you've got to, uh, number one, always keep clear sight of your why. You know, why am I doing this? Uh, because at the end of the day, when I'm in a situation where I'm coaching and communicating with people, to, to help them with life change and transformation, give them hope. Uh, my heart soars. And so I don't ever forget that. So if I get distracted by another opportunity or something else, it's like, uh, this is, this is my thing there. So I keep perspective that, you know, if I look at, or find myself comparing myself to other thought leaders or authors or broadcasters, whatever, um, I just need to remind myself they're doing that. That's not what I'm created to do. I'm created to do this. So that's how I keep my perspective professionally personally, I keep my perspective, um, that I have relational purpose and professional purpose. I really think you could boil it down to that. Every human being has relational purpose and professional purpose. So my relational purpose is that I'm a husband to Stacy. I'm a dad to Ty, Chase, and Josie. I'm a son to Ken and Barbara. I'm a son-in-law to Bob and Donna. I'm a teammate to Megan, who's sitting in the room over in the corner, to all the other people that I 
uh, come to work with, plus the team that I engage with intimately every day, I've got relational purpose. I'm not just Ken Coleman show host, author of From Paycheck to Purpose, creator of the Get Clear Career Assessment. That's not, it's not exclusive. Um, and so for me, the perspective is this, John, uh, if I sell a gajillion books and my show is heard all around the world and all the things, just, just put whatever stat would make me feel good. And I, my marriage crumbles and my kids don't know me and don't know that I'm for them and I fail in those roles, I got to tell you, it's not worth it because I am, I must be on purpose in my relationships first, first and foremost, and, and then be on purpose in my professional life. Now, incidentally, the studies show that when you're on purpose and you're loving your work and you're experiencing joy at work, you're going to be better at home because you're not dragging all that crap home with you. But I got to tell you something for me personally, um, professional success, it pales. It's about Stacy and the kids. Well done. You and I share a couple of things, our passion for the work we do. The fact also though, that we outkick the coverage with who we ended up with. <laughs> yeah. Stacy shared that same trait, that yeah. same talent. Yeah. You, you, your book that I really love can get, 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 get for six chapters, first yeah. six steps are all about getting things. Yeah. The seventh one, though, you pivot that, that word around a little bit. So I'd like you to breeze us through the first six, then step us into number seven and tell me why you made that change. Yeah, the six stages are get clear, then you get qualified, then you get connected. By the way, you can be in stages two and three, get qualified and get connected at the same time. Okay. And then we get started. Now we're on the ladder, or as I love to use in the book, the mountain analogy. Now I'm on the mountain and I begin the climb. After I get started, I'm focusing on getting promoted, and we will spend most of our professional journey in stage five, getting promoted as we climb up. At some point, we step into stage six and get the dream job, and the dream job, again, defined very clearly as I get to use what I do best, my talent, to do work I love, my passion, to produce results that matter to me, my mission. That's the dream job. And you'll find you have enough money, by the way, uh, when, you're, when you're in that kind of work. Now, that's stage six. Stage seven, give yourself away. That was the final stage. And the reason that we chose to take it one more step up is right. because if you, if you follow this analogy, I've been looking up the whole journey as I climb. But when I step into stage six, I am now, and I should be consecutively in stage seven, because I've been coming to the dream job and I step up. And for the first time, I'm not looking up, John, I'm looking out. I'm looking out. And uh, I'm going to save it for readers because I think it's, I think it's the most beautiful part of the book as we tell the story of the greatest mountain climber of all time. And he gets to the top and he's with his climbing partner and his Sherpa and, and they, they recount and I recount on the page what they said and what they did. It's a beautiful thing. I don't want to give it away, uh, but that's the <laughs> same thing. We get up there and we look out. We're now up there and now we're out. Our perspective changes. And we essentially can rework through the six stages before because we reimagine a new dream. Mm. We see new territory. We see the next opportunity. And, and now it's not about income. It's not about status. 
It's about impact. That's right. Giving myself away. Because I believe the creator of the universe made us intentionally, made us to matter, made us to give ourselves away. And so that last stage is really what purpose is all about, to give the best of ourselves away. Uh, I, I, you know, God gave us those gifts to give to someone else. Uh, yes, to experience. Yes, to enjoy, but also to give away. And so that's why the final stage is give yourself away because your perspective changes. I love the final story, by the way, and I won't give it away because it sounds like you don't want to either. So I would encourage. Well, I mean, I don't know. It's your audience. I just got to tell you, I love it. I, I absolutely love the story because it's, it's what it's all about. Amen. So uh, check out From Paycheck to Purpose, where you can find the cliffhanging story that can. <laughs> he took us all the way to the edge, and now he's back in the mountain. You'll, you'll, you will love it. Ken, we are in the midst, and it is probably growing as we step farther into the future, the great resignation. Yeah. And I was listening to your show a couple of weeks ago. You talked about rage quitting, right? In yeah. fact, specifically, rage quoting corporate work, rage oh, yeah. quitting jobs. And you started laughing as only Ken Coleman can laugh on air. And you're like, dude, they're not rage quitting jobs. They're rage quitting leaders. Yeah, tell right. me, tell me why that, why that differential differentiator matters to you. Yeah, well, it does matter because that's what's really going on. You know, they, uh, you, the human spirit, as you know, John, you represent the greatest of the human spirit, our willingness to, to overcome our willingness to persevere through great trial. You know, humans will do that if they believe that someone else believes in them, if someone values them. Belief and value. Belief, you can do it. Value, I want you to do it. We want you on the team. But these kids are at, you know, who knows? I don't know the companies. I don't want to disparage anybody, but these kids are going on TikTok and they're taking the microphone in a big giant box store and they're just going off and swearing and acting like immature kids. But what I see, you know, everybody else laughs at it. I see a kid who's in pain, maybe at home, maybe at school, maybe both, certainly in the workplace. And someone treated them like they were nothing more than an hourly wage worker. They were a commodity, not a human spirit. And so when anyone gets to the point where they are willing to humiliate themselves, because in the moment it feels really good to a kid and they're swearing and insulting this person who has wronged them, but they are humiliating themselves and they are so raw because the pain is so real that a leader is directly responsible for that. Now, I'm not saying that uh, the stuff that's going on at school and the stuff that's going on at home that may play into how they're acting, but the reality is, is if a kid feels cared for, if a kid feels valued, there's a good chance that kid's not going to do that because mm. they may want to quit and they want to move on, but they don't have to go into this rage quitting. And anybody that just leaves in a huff and leaves the wrong way, they feel hurt and they feel devalued. I'm just telling you. Now, you as a leader may not, I'm speaking to leaders now, you may not have done something specifically that way, but you are responsible to make sure that when they are with you and they are under your leadership, that they don't feel that way. And you make it very clear to them. Now, if they choose to disregard that and they're so sick and so unhealthy that they do it anyway, that's fine. But you need to go to bed at night with some tremendous confidence that you have told them eyeball to eyeball on a regular basis that I care about you. You matter. How's your life going? How can I help you win? Uh, if you do that, you're not going to have people rage quitting you. And let me say this one more time for the, for the managers and leaders, business owners in, in the room right now who just heard that you may want to rewind 60 seconds and take notes. 
and for the mothers and the fathers and the aunties and the uncles and the grandparents and the roommates and the spouses and those who worship with others and neighbors and those who feel completely isolated in this marketplace where about 65% of us report being completely isolated. You may wanna rewind now about 75 seconds because I just went 15 seconds farther because we all need to know that we matter and we all need to know that we have real blood coursing through our veins and we all need to know that we're cared for and that there's somebody else for us. And so yeah, leaders pay attention to what Coleman's saying, but leaders, not just by title, but by parenting and everything else that we have going for us, look around us and look for examples of, uh, of opportunity to elevate the lives that we're called to serve. So Ken, it's a great reminder when people get to the end of your program, at the end of your book, at the end of one of your speeches, at the end of the day, What's the one thing you hope they know to be true about their life? That they matter, that they have what it takes to make that unique difference and that they need to press on. I close every show by saying in every speech, you matter, you have what it takes, press on. Uh, if those are the three messages that I would be known for, I'd be pretty darn grateful um, because the, the, those are three sentences that I utter. It's on a little, little letter board in the studio. Uh, uh, I just got the license plate on my 1972 convertible Carmen Ghia, it says, press on, you know, those three messages are powerful. You matter. There's that means that there is a significant purpose for your life. There's intentionality in you. You matter. You have what it takes speaks to, you can do this. You got this. And then press on is don't you dare quit. And so uh, that's just the way that I worded it. Uh, you know me, I'm a preacher's kid. I like things in threes and I like, super simple. And uh, that would be the message because I think it, it's enough. I think it's enough. I think every human being doesn't need any details to color those statements in. If you just looked at everybody and said, you matter, you have what it takes, press on. And they heard that every day. I think they know what to do with that. Well, it takes us back to a comment you made a few minutes ago on wh whose voice do you listen to most frequently? Yeah. And if that is the voice you're listening to now, and if you turned off for a moment, CNN or Fox or MSNBC, and you only heard the voice that you're just whispering toward us, Ken, man, that would be such fuel for the journey forward. <laughs> so brother, we, we wrap up every episode, including the one we recorded with Rachel Cruz and Dave Ramsey and, and Anthony, Anthony O'Neill and others on your team with seven questions that tether all of us together. Okay. So uh, get ready for the Live Inspired 7-Man. Buckle up and here we go. First okay. question is, for Ken Coleman, what has been the most influential book that you've ever read? Uh, Dig Your Well Before You're Thirsty by Harvey McKay. For those who have not yet read Harvey McKay's works, what's yeah. that? Yeah, simple book? concept. You know, the idea is, is that make connections. Dig, dig, dig deep so that when you most need them, you're not in a hurry. You're not struggling. You have built a well of life contacts. To me, it was a game changer to learn how to connect with people uh, for opportunities. And uh, I read it as I was a 17 year old going off to college. Uh, so it's a simple little book, but certainly very impactful for me. What is one positive characteristic that you possessed as a little kid growing up in West Virginia that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today? Um, curiosity. I, I, but I'm a pretty curious guy. Agreed. My mom, my mom tells stories of walking into rooms with me and um, she would be holding my hand and I'd be four or five. And she said that you would always stop. And she used to think that I was scared when I'd walk into a room. 
and she began to pay attention that I was just doing this number right here, as most kids do. But I've just always been uh, very insatiable as it relates to curiosity. Why, why, why does this happen? Why do so? But I could always be more of that way. I think I'm in such a busy rhythm right now and I'm really focused. I don't want to lose that childlike wonder. Man, listen, I've heard you share your heart many times on the stage. I've read your three books, bestsellers, by the way. But I think you're best at interviewing. And, and, and even getting ready for today's conversation with you, I asked, well, wh why is Coleman so good? I think you're naturally curious. Like, seriously, you really want to know what it is about that person across the aisle from me. Like, what, what is it that drives them toward movement, toward action? Yeah. So uh, it is one of your gifts. It's certainly one of your talents. And I hope you keep multiplying it going forward. It ties into the third question, which is, if your home is on fire and your three babies are out and your wife is out and the animals are out and you have an opportunity to run in and grab one thing that matters, what's the one item you come racing back outside with? Oh, uh, man. I don't know. I, 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 it's, a, it's a real toss-up on the one thing. I'll tell you what's going through my mind. I've got my childhood Bible that my mom gave to me after years, the Bible they gave to me after I gave my heart to Christ. Um, yeah, I, I guess that or the portrait of Stacy uh, from our wedding day. So I'm going to grab two because they're both in the same place. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a rebel and I'm taking two things. I got the portrait on one hand and the childhood Bible on the other. Well, if your mom's listening, she is nodding her head grateful right now. And if Stacy's listening, uh, you can join them for dinner tonight. So it's, it, this is a win-win. <laughs> it's true. It could have been awkward tonight otherwise. So I think yeah. you grabbed appropriately. I'm glad, yeah. glad you got both, Ken. That's a good one, man. That's tough. And it came out of actually a conversation I had with a, a billionaire. And I asked him a question similar to that just over coffee one day. Yeah. And, and this guy mentioned this little plastic statuette. Yeah. And I'm like, D buy a new one. And then he talked about growing up in the Great Depression, and it was actually his grandmother's. And, and there was this whole story around intrinsic value, not, not the price to repurchase, but the, you know, you mentioned this Bible that my mother had, I had it in West Virginia, handed it off to me, and here it is still in my like there's yeah. you can get another Bible for seven bucks, yeah. but not that Bible. Yeah, and the same with the photograph. It represents not only that day, but many days, both good yeah. and difficult that have come since. Yeah. So if you could sit on a bench in Franklin, Tennessee, and have a long conversation with anybody, living or deceased, who do you want to be hanging out with for a couple hours? Boy, the living or deceased makes it even harder, but in some ways it allows me to focus in on an answer. Um, deceased, I think it's probably um, it's probably Teddy Roosevelt. You know, dude, you have a picture of him. You record somewhere, and you got a little picture of. of uh, Teddy yeah. off to your right. Yeah. Tell me why, why, do, why is it that you love Teddy Roosevelt so much? Um, because he overcame unbelievable uh, physical challenges as a kid. Um, he, you know, he had to really steal himself mentally to do that. Uh, and he committed to that somewhere along the line. This kid just had a spark where, you know, he was treated like an invalid and yet he didn't accept it. And he just almost willed himself out of it. I find that to be pretty amazing. Yes. Um, and he's a guy that if you study his life, um, he was bold, he was daring, but he also was a man that dealt with tremendous pain, you know, losing his wife and daughter. Uh, he almost didn't make it himself. Um, and he went through incredible darkness in his personal life when he lost his wife and then his, his infant daughter and, uh, and yet came back, you know, he went out and explored and searched and then came back and, 
became one of the greatest presidents uh, in history. Uh, I just think there's so much to talk to him about and to be able to interview him about his journey, just of overcoming hardship. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by people that overcome hardship. And you know, we're in such a politically divided time when you spoke earlier about listening to Reagan or thinking about running for office. And now you're dropping Roosevelt's name. Some folks are like turning the volume down and I think you ought to turn the volume up. Roosevelt has a lot to teach us about where our nation was, what led it to that point and ultimately where it's going next. And it's a really positive message, not a perfect message, but a very, very opportunistic, very life-giving <laughs> very enduring message about what remains possible in our lives going forward. And, and he yeah. lost so much. I love, I love his life, but he's got a lot to teach us, Ken. Yeah, for sure. It ought to be mandatory reading for high school kids, man, to learn about what this guy. hundred percent, hundred percent. What advice would you give your 20 year old self? Be patient, be patient, be patient. Learn the value of patience. Learn the discipline of patience. Be patient. Be patient. Be patient. What's the what's the best advice that this now patient man in front of me has ever heard? So best advice. Well, he's not patient. Uh, that's why I. I. It's why the that would be the advice. I. You know. I. I'm just like every other human. We all want things now. We all you know desire things. It's just it's our humanness uh, to want things now. It's certainly been exacerbated by the world we live in now with technology making things so easy and. And, and social media and the dopamines that we can just get just like this. So it's exacerbated it. We all understand that. But we still have that desire uh, to want something. And God put that in us, by the way. So that's a good thing. Desire uh, in check, healthy desire is a wonderful, wonderful thing. It's what changes the world is desire. Um, but I can look back on my journey and know that if I had gotten things when I wanted them, I would have squandered them because I wasn't ready. Um, desire was there. Diligence wasn't there. Desire was there. Skill wasn't there. Desire was there. Um, proper perspective wasn't, you know, I mean, I could just, you know, I, I don't have time to unpack all this, but I'm just running through my rewind button. And so that's the advice I would give, because I think that what, what, what destroys most dreams, John, is a lack of patience. If I was going to chalk it up to one thing, because I think the lack of patience spawns so many other distractions. Mm. And I think that patience, you know, the Bible calls it a virtue. It is a virtue. Uh, like I said, you know, I was on a podcast recently, John, you would have loved it. If you've been sitting beside me, I think you would have amen. But the host asked me, you know, something about discipline. And I said, discipline's overrated. And it threw him. You know, he's like, what, what are you talking about? I go, discipline itself is overrated because without patience, I don't think there can be discipline. Like you can discipline yourself not to eat cake or not to eat junk food for X amount of days. Okay. But if there's no conviction, right then the discipline won't stay okay but see it's conviction and patience that come together which produces diligence mm. and discipline so discipline is overrated i want diligence because diligence is what fuels discipline conviction 
fuels diligence. And so it's like, I, I cannot be persistent and I can't show up and, and, and experience perseverance without patience. It's the wonder drug. It's the secret sauce. And I think it's proof in some regards of your faithfulness. 100%. I mean, we all want things that we want now. And then we say, God, where is it? And faith demands that we shut our eyes and keep stepping forward. Have That's a little it. bit of faith. It's patience. It's just yes. patience. Faith, faith, faith is absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I mean, faith gives me the willingness to wait. I believe it's worth waiting for. I have faith that it's worth waiting for. I have faith that it's going to happen in some, some form or some fashion. Yeah. I mean, man, dude, patience is, it's everything. Well, keep listening to the advice you received at age 20, or at least you should have received <laughs> Ken Coleman at age oh, 20. Oh, trust me. I'm listening. That's why I just took the chance to preach at myself a little bit more. I figured there's a few <laughs> other people out there that needed to hear that too. Well, my friends, we've come to question number seven for my friend, Ken Coleman. Ken, the question is, it has been said that all great leaders can have their lives summed up in one sentence. Ken Coleman, America's career coach and my friend, how would you like your one sentence to read? He served his God, he served his family, and he served his fellow man with everything that he had. It wasn't perfect, and it may have taken him a while to figure out how to do it really well. But he figured it out and he gave it everything he had. Well, Ken, you're certainly doing those things extraordinarily well. It's been an honor to be a peer of yours, to share a stage of yours, to read your books, to be on your podcast, but more than all that, just to be your friend, to see you grow and to see you touch lives around the world. And it's a really cool journey. Thank you for the book from purpose or from paycheck to purpose recently came out. And one more time, where can we learn more about that book? Yeah, KenColeman.com. Uh, if, if people want to buy it and they've got bundles there with the Get Clear assessment that we talked about, um, wherever books are sold, it's out there. You can go get it. And I would challenge you to get it. It's going to push you. Uh, it's going to lift you as well. And we need what you have to offer. So don't you dare for a second not think that your work matters or that there's not purpose attached to it, because I can tell you that there is. My friends, that is Ken Coleman. I am John O'Leary. Today is your day. Live inspired. Our friends at El Keeley are incredibly dedicated to quality, ensuring that they do the right work the first time. Their founder and my friend, his name is Larry Keeley, has always said that quality and service never go out of style. After four decades of proving that truth in his construction business, their customer-centric approach is evident in every single project they touch. Learn more about their work and how they can impact you and your business at keeleycompanies.com.